ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय so we're starting chapter 2 again we may not go for the full hour and a half today you got, you got to oh that must be me we'll uh <clears throat> reading from canto 9 and beginning of chapter 2 of shrimad bhagavatam so let's sugadev goswami said thereafter when his son sudyumna had thus gone to the forest to accept the order of vanaprastha Vaivashvata Manu Shadha Deva, being desirous of getting more sons, performed severe austerities on the bank of the Jamuna for hundreds of years. So one thing I, I get from this is it was such a culture of uh, you want to get something done in life and you don't just white knuckle it, but you actually, you know, understand that it comes as blessings from above so you know this isn't like pure devotional service you know that we're talking about always but there was that culture right so he wanted to have more sons so what he, he didn't just you know go and have sex 100 times i may have had to do that as well but performed austerities and tried to you know please whoever he, if he was a devotee please krishna if he was a demigod worshiper please them but there was that understanding that they were higher they were greater powers in the universe then because of this desire of text 2 for sons the manu known as shodha deva worshiped the supreme lord the personality of god the lord of the demigods thus he got 10 sons exactly like himself among them all ikshvaku was the eldest among these sons uh prisadra following the orders of his spiritual master was engaged as a protector of cows he would stay up all night with a sword to give the cows protection purport one who becomes virasana takes the vow to stand all night with a sword to give protection to the cows because prisadra was engaged in this way it is to be understood that he had no dynasty excuse me We can further understand from this vow accepted by Prisadra how essential it is to protect the cows. Some son of a chatriya would take this vow to protect the cows from ferocious animals even at night. What then is to be said of sending cows to slaughterhouses? This is the most sinful activity in human society. <laughs> Oops, there's a bunch of people waiting to get in. Okay. Let, let them join so for those of you who are just joining we're on text 3 of the ninth of the second chapter of the ninth canto we're hearing about um cow protection and probably writes at the end then it is to be said then what is to be said what then is to be said of sending cows to slaughterhouses this is the most sinful activity in human society so um people just don't know these things. <laughs> you know and not only that but they have this idea of you know dirty cows roaming the streets of delhi and kolkata and and my and uh mumbai and thinking that that's what you know is meant by cow protection by the way you would never 
someone who's really into cow protection would never have them roam the streets of Delhi. <laughs> right? It would not be uh, desirable at all. Um, but it's actually a very deep science. And cows are, um, well, first, I mean, there's what are the different reasons for protecting cows? Why don't I ask y'all? And the important, what are, and what are some of the significant parts, uh, uh, or why is a cow significant? Hare Krishna. Yes, Prabhu. In, in addition to what the Vedas tell us uh, is correct behavior, um, the cow is uh, valuable for its milk products. Yep. Okay. So valuable for milk. What else is important about the cow? Good morning, everyone. <laughs> this is like Krishna Conscious 101. It's something you should know. Hare <laughs> Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghavanjari. Um, um, yeah, cow is considered like a mother, just like as Prabhu was saying. It gives milk, and uh, the cow's milk is very uh, nutritious, nutritious to the um, brain cells. And um, also in the Indian culture, like because the cow gives the milk, like we always treat it like a mother. It's one of the mothers mentioned in the Vedas. Thank you. Very good. What else? Basically, I remember it's a dharma. What, okay, it's a dharma. Okay. Yeah, so it's a Hindu, Hindu dharma that like to maintain a cow and protect the cow, and um, which is equal to earth, as uh, other devotees uh, said. Okay. What else special about cows? Even its urine and stool are purifying agents. Right. Okay. What else? Um, also, Prabhu, in the uh, stomach of the cow, there is the Mahalakshmi. Uh, that's one thing that they say. So that's why cow is worshipped. Yes, there's all kinds of uh, demigods and goddesses and, and, and great shaktis. And then, yes, and, yeah. And the last one is that Krishna herded cows. <laughs> Krishna is a cow herder. <laughs> as much as that's like a scratch your head thing for most people in this world, you know, not only is God a person, but he's a, he, he takes care of cows. And most people are like, what? <laughs> Except for people, you know, who grow up in the culture. Um, so yes, yeah, so cows are uh, very, and, and they're also very much in the mode of goodness. It's really hard to be, in the lower modes of material nature, angry and this and that when you're hanging out with cows a lot. Okay, so now we're going to hear a very interesting story about what happened to uh, Prisadha. Uh, once at night, while it was raining, a tiger entered the land of the cow shed. Upon seeing the tiger, all the cows who were lying down got up in fear and scattered here and there on the land. When the very strong tiger seized the cow, the cow screamed in distress and fear, and Prisadha Hearing the screaming immediately followed the sound. He took up his sword, but because the stars were covered by clouds, in other words, it was dark, he mistook the cow for the tiger and mistakenly cut off the cow's head with great force. Because the tiger's ear had been cut by the edge of the sword, the tiger was, <coughs> was very much afraid, and it fled from that place while bleeding on the street. In the morning, when Prisadra who was quite able to subdue his enemy, saw that he had killed the cow, although at night he thought he had killed the tiger. He was very unhappy. 
Although Prisadra had committed the sin unknowingly, his family priest, Vashishta, cursed him, saying, In your next life you shall not be able, you shall not be able to become a Chatriya. Instead, you shall take birth as a Shudra because of killing the cow. Purport. It appears that Vashishta was not free from the Tamaguna, the mode of ignorance. As a family priest or spiritual master of Prisadra, Vashishta should have taken Prisadra's offense very lightly, but instead Vashishta cursed him to become a Shudra. It is the duty of a family priest not to curse it, you know, like a guru. It's the duty of a family priest not to curse a disciple, but to give him uh, relief from the performance of, uh, through the performance of some sort of atonement, which in Sanskrit is prayaschitta. Vashishta, however, did just the opposite. Therefore, Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that, it, that he was dharmati. In other words, his intelligence was not very good. So, uh, a lot to be said here. Um, so, we all make mistakes. Right? To err is human. Uh, and we all, in one way or another, fall short of the pure of the uh, ideal of being a devotee of Krishna. And as Prabhupada is indicating here, especially when, when, when an offense is unknowing, even a terrible offense as killing a cow, but if it's done mistakenly, it's not the same as opening slaughterhouses and, you know, profiting millions of dollars on killing of cows, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, in that, in that vein. So there's a lesson here for us. Um, first of all, to be tolerant and forgiving of others. Uh, there's a saying that we should be strict with ourselves and lenient with others. Often we're the other way around, right? We think, oh, Krishna's very kind. He'll forgive me when we do something wrong. But when someone else does something wrong, oh my God, they're going to get a big reaction. <laughs> To that we, we don't we may not all think quite like that but you know some different degrees of that or variation varieties of that but here Srila Prabhupada is telling us that Vishta should have like you know been more consoling I know you must feel terrible having done this um, and because it's not he wasn't talking in this purport about pure devotional service because in pure devotional service there's no need for prayaschitta for some atonement just doing re-engaging in bhakti is the atonement. But here Prabhupada points out, so on a lower dharmic level, that he should have just given him some atonement. Okay, so you made this mistake. It's not good. You can do this. You can do that. You can perform this austerity. You can do this or that and neutralize this, the, uh, the karma for what you did. But Vashishta didn't do that. And so it's, uh, in one sense, it's a balancing act when we are trying to help others in their, in their, in their pursuit of Krishna consciousness, in their pursuit of bhakti. Um, if chastising a person will help them come closer to Krishna, we chastise. If patting them on the back or on the head and saying, don't worry about it, Krishna will forgive you. If that will help them come closer to Krishna, and we'll do that. We are not attached to a certain modus operandi. We're attached to trying to help that person come closer to Krishna. And that, that, that also works for ourselves. 
if we beat ourselves up so much when we make a mistake or don't come up to the proper standard, um, that is not usually favorable to our devotion, developing a bhakti. And on the other extreme, on the other end of the spectrum, we say, well, you know, Krishna's very kind, forget about it, you know, and take things too lightly. Um, that's a different kind of anarta or unwanted mindset. Um, so we want to be careful that our lamentation over mistakes that we made is a healthy one, one that leads to improvement, one that leads to taking shelter of Krishna, not just trying to nullify our bad karma, but actually developing bhakti in our heart, because we're going to hear about that in the next purport. So, um, you know, Prasadra felt bad about what he did. Um, but Vashishta acted, as Prabhupada says here, in the mode of ignorance. Anger is a manifestation of ignorance, right? Lust is a manifestation of passion. And if you take lust to mean more than just, you know, sexual things, but it's just um, desiring to enjoy in this world, when that's not fulfilled, one often gets angry. And that's in the mode of ignorance. So Prabhupada is suggesting here that Vashishta should have taken a different path. He should have not taken the offense so, uh, so heavily, but given him good instruction. Uh, but he didn't. Uh, Vashishta instead, Srila Vishnav Chakravarti Thakur says that his intelligence was not very good. So we covered, I covered quite a few points there. Uh, some thoughts? Questions, comments on that, on anything I said? Hare Krishna Prabhu. One thing yes. um, that I've heard is like Vishwamitra uh, is known for his anger and uh, Vashishta is uh, quite opposite. He would never get angry. And uh, he had, in this uh, purport, it is said that uh, he he was angry and he burst. And so, yeah. yeah. So it yeah. kind of shows that if you're not, just the pure devotee of the Lord, you can be, even if your nature is one thing, you can sometimes be swept away by something else. Even if you're a pacifist, you may be um, prone to anger sometimes. Or even if you're a very angry person, you may mellow out sometimes. Because <laughs> that's all on kind of the material level. Yeah. Thank you for that. Let's see. Thank you, Kevin. Other thoughts? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this last week the um you know uh talking about nature and, and how you can you know act contrary to your normal nature it's our natures yeah okay our nature yeah. mm -hmm. so, not, not like bubble uh dandelions and nature like that right right so um i've been thinking a lot about uh, some some scar is that the correct yeah mental impressions yeah um so and if it's a little bit off topic, I'm sorry, but like, how are, how are those formed? So for instance, I've always, or at least for a while, I've been thinking like when we watch TV or, or watch Hollywood or whatever movies and stuff, I would imagine that's forming some scars in, in our mind, even though it seems like a benign activity, playing video games, it, 
First of all, it's very interesting because it seems to suggest a pretty deep understanding of the unconscious mind. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Yes. Um, but do you, do you agree with that? Like, yeah, absolutely. Pretty much everything we're exposed to creates some scars. Some of them are deeper some scars than others. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in a car accident or something that just like I, I, so I got in a car accident in New York a few months ago. So last, uh, just day before yesterday, I was in New York City, again driving the same car. <laughs> uh, it got repaired. The old Prius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, I was a little, almost like nervous, like somebody's going to rear end me again, mm-hmm. because I had that impression. Oh yeah. And it went kind of deep, and. This is the challenge with exposing ourselves, and I'm I'm not free from this, but I'm, I'll still express it. This is not this is the challenge with exposing ourselves to modern media, or mm-hmm. even news outlets, because they're not neutral. They're not completely benign, as you're saying. They they express a worldview, right? I mean, even um, uh, a good show, you know. Uh, will express a certain kind of what to speak of some of the real cra- crap that's out there. Right. Mm-hmm. But they express a certain worldview. Generally, it's not dedicate your life to God. No. Right. No, the opposite. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I was thinking, you know, I mean, we watched too much TV when I was a kid, but at least it was still a time when we would go outside a lot and stuff like that. But, you know, I'll hear the kids here, um, you know, the younger sailors and it's like, I think there's so much of a tendency if they have free time to just literally watch entire, uh, what do you call it, series of, of these TV programs and stuff. I and mean, it's almost like just becoming this vegetated, yeah. like, um, ingester of, of this material, you know what I mean? It, yeah. Uh, yeah. And some of it is gross and some of it's quite subtle, but it's, and what to speak of like news outlets. You know, a news outlet, whatever their angle is, they they choose. It's not like I mean, except, okay, when when the queen dies, everyone has to report that, right? Mm-hmm. But oh, even how they report that may differ according to what they want you to hear. But otherwise, you know, they choose what's on the headlines and things, and they're you know, it's not just like totally neutral. Of course, nothing no, is of course not. Days, it's not right? even close to the girl, Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Maybe, maybe when it was Walter Cronkite and you know, like that back in the fifties and sixties, it might have been a little bit more. Just the facts. Yeah, it was better. It wasn't necessarily perfect, right? So, so we are um, exposing ourselves to to those things. So, what we're trying to do is expose ourselves to Krishna. And the challenge is that this example is given in the nectar of instruction that when you have uh, jaundice, I don't know if any, I've got, I had jaundice once. Um, you are supposed to eat, one, one cure for it is sugar cane, but the sugar cane tastes actually quite bitter. Um, really? But yeah, when, when you're, you have jaundice. But, uh, but when you keep taking it, it slowly, slowly becomes sweet again. So that example is given by the great Saint Rupa Goswami to, to talk about our predicament. 
the the sugar cane in this case is hearing and chanting about Krishna. And the problem is that we have more of a taste for, you know, and name your TV show or watching NFL or whatever. Um, but just as if you keep taking sugar cane slowly, you get the taste back. So similarly, if we just keep exposing ourselves to hearing and chanting about Krishna, then gradually a taste arises and simultaneously the taste for other things goes away. But it's not easy um, because the mode of passion is attractive. The mode of goodness is attractive, but it takes some time to slow down and do some pranayama and chant Krishna's name and read the Bhagavatam. It's not, that's not like bing, 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 exciting, like you said, video games or watching a war movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we're really, com- we have stiff competition with the mode of passion and ignorance. Mm-hmm. And then we have purva samskars. Those are mental impressions from previous lives. Right. Yeah. So you're very which, good point. Which is kind of our, our inherent nature, right? Yes. Okay. Well, our inherent it's nature grows a lot from that. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. At least a good deal of it. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, it's tricky stuff, huh? <laughs> Other thoughts? Hi, Bo. Yes, I know you. I know you want to move on. So I'll no, be- no, no. I'm okay. We we only have two more purports. Okay. Well, what what you were discussing? What what uh, my impression was when you were talking about news outlets? Um, I was thinking, yeah, um, that's so true because. Um, news outlets want to give you the impression that they're neutral. They really, I mean, and I grew up thinking that they were neutral, or or at least the ones that I uh, focused most on. I thought that they, you know, they were just objective and they were presenting the news and then gradually found out that, uh, as you're saying, they have uh, a point of view as you know, because we're persons and we have, you know, uh, and uh, that was very um, sobering thought or you know, discovery for me that it, uh, even even the uh, outlets that I trusted as being, you know, just objective and neutral were actually presenting a specific point of view that. Uh, that they wanted you to have. And I, um, I also had another uh, comment. Well, let's, well, let's yeah. just, let's just, whoops, there's one back. Let's just, uh, just, uh, just to reinforce what you're saying, Prabhu. Uh, if you go to CNN right now, the headlines is Russian troops flee as Ukrainian forces make rapid gains. If you go to Fox News, they're talking about remembering 9-11. You go to Huffington Post, it, the queen makes her final journey. And interestingly, if you go to MSNBC, for the colonized, the Queen's reign was a beautifully crafted fiction. So there you go. Five news outlets, because today is 9-11, right? Uh, five different em- emphases. Is that a plural for emphasis? Uh, right? And so there, you know, one is telling you to think that uh, colonization was, was terrible. And another one is saying the Queen, you know, anyway... That's just, and that's on a day, not that's 9 11. 
we just picked a regular day, uh, you'd, you'd get a really bigger variety, right? So thank you. For yeah. That. Yeah. Thank you. Did you have another one? Uh, I think I forgot it. Okay. You think you forgot it. Okay. Uh, anything else? Nanimuki, you're good. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Yes, Hare Krishna. Just echo, echo in this discussion. I remember I saw an advertisement saying that we are what we eat. And I think just in, in, in from this point of view, we are not only just what we eat, we are also what we see, what we hear, what we smell yeah. even, and what we think about most importantly. Yes, and what we eat as well. Yes, you're right. But definitely what we see and hear make these huge impressions on our mind. Look at um, uh, Ajamil. He was a kind of a Paka Brahmin, but he just saw two people embracing and that 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 kind of reawoken some uh, Purva Samskars. And then he went on a whole different journey in his life for a long time. <clears throat> yeah. And we're all, you know, we're in such a, a unique place relative to every, you know, the, the remainder of history where we can just hyper consume media, Hyper. you know, for thousands of years, you work in your fields or whatever it was you were doing, you know, you probably barely had any day-to-day -day contact with what was going on with the government, you know, right. um, and now it's like, and, you know, one thing I've read is that, um, it's almost universal these kids that get so become so dark that they get into these mass shootings it it's always in retrospect determined that they were just consuming massive amounts of hyper violent media and obsessed with that type of stuff so it it really has a, a profound impact on our, on our psyche and everything yeah yeah and and even for devotees at least you know in the earlier days of ISKCON, there was no question of having a television in your house. Um, mm -hmm. But now, even if devotees don't have a television, they all have computers. So like, just like what I just did, I, right? I just spent 30, 40 seconds checking out four news outlets, just like, like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, in the 70s, for example, I may have read a news, I may have looked at the headlines of a newspaper once a week something like that or mm -hmm. you know you know uh, i went especially in india i didn't i couldn't read hindi so i didn't yeah didn't know what was going on you know or even a person who devoured the new york times every day it's different than uh you know what we can do today they probably wouldn't read the daily news or the new york post but here like i said just now i can check fox news cnn msnbc huffington post i mean those are all very different <laughs> Mm. Those outlets. Yeah. Yeah. So the, even for devotees, there's a bigger challenge because, oh, my point was devotees almost all have computers and an internet access, even if in bygone decades, nobody had a, a um, TV. So the temptation is so much greater. You just, you know, type in whatever, Huff Post, and there you are reading Huffing, you know, the super Maha liberal website or your Fox News or whatever. Yeah. So it's a challenge even for us as devotees. Like you, you said, the access is there. And, and for us, it's like quite unlimitedly more than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Shall we continue? All right.
Yeah, go ahead, Bruno. I should remember. I remembered what I wanted to say. Okay, good. <laughs> um, just simply that um, uh, this pastime, shocking as it is, this uh, cursing of uh, uh, for for making a very serious mistake, reminded me of the um, the pastime in the Krishna book of the uh, uh, king who was turned into a lizard because. Uh, he uh, made the slight error of giving thousands of cows to one brahmana and thousands of cows to another brahmana and one cow uh, uh, mistake wandered from one brahmana's collection to another and they, they both wouldn't uh, compromise no matter what the king tried to do and so he was uh, cursed to become a, uh, take the body of a lizard, um, but it it didn't seem like Prabhupada was descri describing the uh, uh, there was nothing about ignorance or lust in that uh, description uh, of the of the cursing of the king. I was just remembering that. Thank you, thank yes. you for that, and. Uh... Yeah, so all these things have to be weighed because maybe the king wasn't, well, the Bhagavatam, I don't think the Bhagavatam there is emphasizing the king's uh, devotional life because it, as for devotees, um, Krishna says, apichet sudaracharo bhajatemam ananyabhak sadhur eva samantavya that uh, even if you commit the most abominable action, if you're engaged in devotional service, uh, intense devotional service, then you are relieved of any kind of reactions to such things. Yet, so I'd have to check what the comment, what Prabhupada or the different commentators say on the pastime of Nriga, because I'm not sure if he was a pure devotee then. Otherwise, that other verse in the Bhagavad Gita would apply to him. Okay, let's carry on. Text 10. When the hero Prisadra was thus cursed by his spiritual master. He accepted the curse with folded hands. Then having controlled his senses, he took the vow of brahmacharya, celibacy, which is approved by all great sages, 11 to 13. Therefore, Prisadra gained relief from all responsibilities, became peaceful in mind, and established control over all his senses. Being unaffected by material conditions, being pleased with whatever was available by the grace of the Lord to maintain body and soul together, being equal toward everyone, he gave full attention to the Supreme Personality of Godhead Vasudeva, another name for Krishna, who is the transcendental super soul free from material contamination. Thus, Prisadra, fully satisfied in pure knowledge, always keeping his mind on the Supreme Personality of Godhead, achieved pure devotional service to the Lord and began want traveling all over the world without affection for material activities as if he were dumbed, deaf, dumb, and blind. With this attitude, Prisadra became a great saint. And when he entered the forest and saw a blazing forest fire, he took this opportunity to burn his body in the fire. Thus he achieved the transcendental spiritual world. Purport. The Lord says in Bhagavad Gita, one who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities 
does not, upon leaving the body, take his birth again in this material world, but attains my eternal abode, O Arjuna. So um, we'll read more, but the first point is um, that we need to know the full picture, right? Because it sounds like he's committing suicide here. And we generally say that someone who commits suicide uh, becomes a ghost in their next life. So we don't know the details of this, but we do know much more appropriate instructions about suicide from Lord Chaitanya talking to Sanatana Goswami. And Sanatana Goswami thinking that, you know, I have all these sores all over my body. And Lord Chaitanya embraces me. It's better that I give up this body. And he was making plans to throw himself under the, the big chariot wheels during Rathayatra. And Lord Chaitanya knowing his mind saying, bogus. <laughs> he didn't quite use those words, but he said, your body, it's not your body to do with you whatever you want. Your body belongs to me. It's used for my service. And he said, if I could attain Krishna by committing suicide, I would do it a thousand times. So as a general, I'd say that's the more general rule and general instruction for us, even though here uh, uh, Prisadra is um, is doing that. Now, it might have been at the very end, tail end of his life. We don't know the details here. For, uh, continuing. Prisadra. I'm sorry, Prabhu, respectfully. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's committing suicide because this previous verse just established that he achieved uh, pure devotional service. He became a pure devotee. Um, is, do you think that's an... I, I'm not sure that it's in the same category as as suicide. I'm just saying this well, very respectfully. Right. Well, whatever we might call it, he's putting his body in the fire, right? Sure. I, he's he's leaving this world. You know, I, you can't, I don't think you can call it sati because it, he's a man, not a woman. Um, so we just don't, you know, the, the Bhagavatam can't tell all the details of, a, you know, every pastime that would be, it would be, a million pages long, but, but I'm just bringing out that point in case somebody had that question. Yes, Prabhu, please, please continue. Yeah, no problem. So, Prisada, because of his karma, was cursed to take his birth as a next birth as a sudra. But because he took to saintly life, specifically concentrating his mind always on the supreme personality of Godhead, and then forget about it, he became a pure devotee. Doesn't matter, you know, no sudra, no this, no that, nothing. Immediately after giving up his body in the fire, he reached the spiritual world, as mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, Mam Ete, as a result of his devotional situation. So he didn't have to become a sutra because he went back to Godhead. Devotional service performed by thinking of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is so powerful that although Prisadra was cursed, he avoided the terrible consequences of becoming a sudra. Of course, sudras can also be devotees, as we're going to hear a little later. And instead returned home back to Godhead, as stated in Brahma Sanghita 554. Those who are engaged in devotional service are unaffected by the results of their material activities. Otherwise, everyone from the small, otherwise, if that's not the case, if you're not a pure devotee, then everybody else from the smallest microbe to the king of heaven, Indra, is subject to the laws of karma. A pure devotee, being always engaged in the service of the Lord, is exempt from these laws. So 
that also brings us back a little bit. It's not easy to do this, but obviously you're not performing pure devotional service when you're watching, you know, the TV or the football match or whatever. Um, so a pure devotee being always engaged is exempt from these laws. So that may, you may be exempt to some extent, to the extent that you are always engaged. Um, and it's not easy to have such a deep taste for Krishna Bhakti that one is always engaged, but we could be praying for and endeavoring in that direction. But here the power of devotional service is being explained that um, devotional service performed by thinking of the Supreme Personality of God, it is so powerful that although Prishadu was cursed, he avoided the terrible consequence of becoming a Sudra and instead returned back to Godhead. So that's the power of bhakti. Some thoughts, questions, comments on this important point. Yeah, I do. Yes, Andy. I think even if you're fully absorbed, don't have the right to make that judgment. I'm fully absorbed. I can do whatever I want. So you could be <laughs> no. wrong. So that's why you shouldn't kill yourself because maybe you weren't fully absorbed and it's too late. You know, other people can maybe judge and certainly God can, but you can't just make that determination and say, now I'm fully absorbed. I'm going to kill myself. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I don't, you can't do that. Yeah. yeah. No, no, absolutely not. And like I said, we don't know the whole backstory, you know, and the culture at that time. And yeah, it's, um, it's apple, it's totally apples and oranges, as we say. It's not even, it's apples and skyscrapers, you know, or something like the difference between those two. It's um, that, yeah. <clears throat> and this took place a long time ago. Well, that was a very common thing back then. I mean, women would throw themselves well, in sacrificial fire and it doesn't yes. happen very much today. Yeah. No, only by generally by force. And, and the idea was so different than today. The idea was that the fire of separation from the husband was more painful than the fire of fire. But of course, devotees, you know, we don't think like that. We think okay, my husband died, but I can still be doing so much devotional service for Krishna. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and it's been outlawed, although it's still practiced in some places, I think. not Maybe not legally. Um, because it was terrible. I mean, God, can you imagine? They, they were like forced, oh, you got to do your duty, you know, and throw the word. It's terrible. It's terrible. Hi, Krishna Prabhu. Yes. So one realization I got by listening and reading this particular purports is um, the point here is how powerful the devotional service is. Right. Not like uh, he went for a suicide. Like even even if he get a, a curse from a, a very powerful brahmana, uh, using a devotional service, we can able to overcome that, uh, which is Good a point. powerful message. Is the point? Good point. Yeah, that's a great point. Because he got per cursed by like not a like you're saying, a very powerful person. And he stepped on the head of it. Very nice, Shakshi. Gopal Prabhu. Okay, anything else? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. This activity of Prisha Jua, uh, that he attained pure devotional service and then give up the world as if he was deaf, dumb, and blind. And finally, enter in a blazing forest fire to give up his material body. It's remind me of the pastimes of Lord Vishabhadeva. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Jadabharata? Yes, Jadabharata. 
Jadavar. Well, we don't know how Jadavar would give up his body. No, but we know that he he feigned. He acts uh, yeah. yeah, he acts as not part of this world. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, I, I would guess like maybe, <laughs> maybe a modern day ad- adaptation of that would be to go off of all electronics, you know, right, right. So, you know, people in, in olden days would feign uh, being, you know, deaf or dumb or something like that. And, and to not have to interface with material people in material life. So maybe if, if you go completely offline, <laughs> I mean, that might be the modern day adaptation. You just don't want to be contaminated by the thoughts and events of this world. I'm not saying we should do that, but that, that might, I'm just thinking in my mind, that might be the modern day adaptation of that. <laughs> yes, yes. Which reminds me, I plan on going off completely offline for three weeks starting September 23rd. Well, for some time I've been planning on trying to limit my, like just reading of news and, you know, whatever it is about investments, you know, trying to limit that until Friday. And I have to admit that thus far that that plan has been an abject failure, but I'll try to start again this week, see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I like what I've done is slightly like that. I, you know, I still check my emails and I just get, um, the CNN does this, New York times does this, uh, Washington Post does this. They just send you the top five events of the day, you know, and it takes like one minute to read. And I'm sure, you know, if, if World War Three breaks out, they'll tell me, right? Um, yes, and even checking investments, you know, the, the this market is so up and down, up and down. And then if you go up when the market's up and down when the market, we're 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 um, delegating our happiness and distress to something we have zero control over. Yeah. Well, this is actually a great example. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember that, you know, to check a stock, you had to go to the back of the Washington Post business section and look up the ticker once a day, right. unless you're calling the broker, you know, broker. I, I remember this because I remember my dad checking the stuff. But now it's like you can literally real-time watch, you know, every trade go through. Um, yeah, you, you can you can set your phone up to basically let you know every time Bryce Harper swings a baseball bat. You know, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. crazy. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. You know. <laughs> Krishna Prabhu, uh, yes. just a clarification on this discussion. Negating is this is part of negating and like uh, uh, from the material contamination. Um, I understand that's going to help our spiritual process. Like I completely understand, you know, I've been affected by it also, but like, are we not really fighting against it? Like Arjuna, like, um, you know, uh, it's not, it's not, we are not getting it away. We need to live in the same condition and still able to make some progress. Um, yeah, we have to figure out how to do it. Yeah. I, I, you know, one little trick that I have, I told you about this is this thing. I showed you this before, right? You know, um, it's, it's, I put my phone in it the, uh, at the end of the day and then I 
close this and then I set it usually for about eight or nine hours and it locks the phone. So I can't access my phone for eight or nine hours or 10 hours or whatever. And that way, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I don't check my email. I don't check my WhatsApp. I pick up my Joppa beads. <laughs> it was like the I think it was like $30. It's the best investment I've ever made. <laughs> um, like that. Yeah. Or, or if I really, if I really want to get into it, I um, get out a, a small suitcase, like a carry-on. I put my computer in there. I put my phone in there and then I lock it. And then I just put the key in here. Then I can't even access my computer for as many hours as I want. Yeah. You're just putting a lock to the Kamaya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I don't, I'm not suggesting that necessarily, but you know, I, I just found that uh, it makes me a little more peaceful. I don't, when I wake up, I don't, uh, there's no question of checking anything. Definitely, Prabhu. Thank you. I don't, I don't have access to it. <laughs> okay, shall we carry on? All right, then we are on verse 15. Being reluctant to accept material enjoyment, Manu's youngest son, whose name was Kavi gave up the kingdom before attaining full youth. Accompanied by his friends, he went to the forest, always thinking of the self-effulgent supreme personality of God within the core of his heart. Thus he attained perfection. From Karusa, uh, another son of Manu, came the Karusa dynasty, a family of Chatriyas. The Karusa Chatriyas were the kings of the northern direction. They were celebrated protectors of Brahminical culture and were all firmly religious. From the son of Manu, named Drista, came a Chatriya caste called uh, Darstra, whose members achieved the position of Brahmanas in this world. Then from the son of Manu, named Nriga, came Sumati. From Sumati came Bhutajoti, and from Bhutajoti came Vasu. Text 18. The son of Vasu was Pratika, whose son was Oghavan. Oghavan's son was also known as Oghavan, Oghavan, and his daughter was Oghavati. Sudarshan su, yeah, su, uh, married that daughter. From Narishyanta came a son named Chitrasena, and from him a son named Vriksha. From Vriksha came Midvan, and from Midvan came Pur Purna, and from Purna came Indrasena. From Indrasena came Vitihotra, from, Vihi, from Vitihotra came Satyasvara, from Satyasvara came the son named as Urukshava, and from Urukshava came Devadatta. From Devadatta came a son known as Agni Vesha, and from the fire god Agni, who was the fire god Agni himself. This son, who was a celebrated saint, was well known as Kanina and Jatukarnya. O king, from Agni Vesha came a Brahminical dynasty known as Agni Vesha Yana. Now that I have described the descendants of Narishanta, let me describe the descendants of Drista. Please hear them. Dista. Dista had a son named Nabhaga. This Nabhaga was different 
from the Nabaga described later, because a Vaishya became a Vaishya by occupational duty. The son of Nabhaga was known as Balandana. The son of Balandana was Vatsa Priti, and his son was Prangsu. Prangsu's son was Pramati, Pramati and Pramati's son was Kanitra. Kanitra's son was Chakshusha, and his son was Virimsati. Purport. From Manu, one son became a Chatriya, another a Brahmana, and a Natra, and another a Vaisha. This confirms the statement by Naradamuni, Yasya Yal Lakshana Protam Pungso Varnabhid Yang Jatakam. One should always remember that Brahmins, Chatriyas, and Vaishas should never be regarded as members of a caste by birth. Very important point. A Brahmana may be changed into a Chatriya and a Chatriya into a Brahmana. Similarly, a Brahmana or a Chatriya may be changed into a Vaisha and a Vaisha into a Brahmana or a Chatriya. This is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, Chaturn Varnyamayasrista Gunakarma Vipagasa. So one is a Brahmana, Chatriya, or Vaisha, never by birth, by quality. This is connected to uh, the discussion with Dean earlier about uh, samsars. There is a need. There's a great need of Brahmanas. Therefore, in the Krishna conscious movement, we're trying to train some Brahmanas to guide human society. Because at present, there is a scarcity of uh, Brahmanas. The brain of human society is lost. Because practically everyone is a sudra. No one at the present moment can guide the members of society to the proper path by which to achieve perfection in life. So, you know, here in this one short purport, Prabhupada is, you know, demolishing the, the incorrect idea of a caste system. Uh, but furthermore, about the ills of the caste system is that a sudra, although it may, is, is treated with great respect, everyone's treated with great respect. It's not demeaning. You need, you know, as, as, I, as I mentioned on this call a number of times, you know, I may be, you know, sitting behind a computer at work and doing mental things. If people weren't taking out the garbage, which is a very sudra activity, if people weren't maintaining the building, that building would be in, in, uninhabitable in one week. Right? So you need all four orders of life. It's just that you especially need Brahmins to guide everybody else, people who are detached, who, are, who, who can give advice from a detached point of view, not like I'm giving you this advice because I will benefit from it people whose only desire in life is to uplift and help others. That's the kind of Brahman we need, not someone who just has a Brahman thread. And, right? and that's not so easy. That, that Krishna consciousness ultimately um, is not so cheap. But it's so important to understand this, that um, all these things are not by birth. Um, there's something in the chat here. I was I was having oh technicals okay no problem Prabhu welcome to yeah. have you Happy sorry have yeah you. I'm gonna be leaving soon yeah, I know that you have to come to the temple and do service <clears throat> um, so that's you know one very clear point being made here so two the need for brahmanas and the um, fact that nothing it's not by birth it's by Guna and karma, as we've read in Bhagavad Gita, by your qualities and your activities. So, can questions, I, comments? 
Yeah, can I make, I'd like to make one comment. Um, I, I think it's not so much that there isn't a caste system, but rather that it's uh, merit-based, right? I, I think that's an important distinction because I think one of the, one of the most uh, important uh, things that I've read from is the importance of, of, of not having a mixing of the castes. And, and one of the things that was really interesting with that is that had nothing to do with, or far less to do with marriage and, and social mixing, but far more to do with the actual mixing of the positions in society. So for instance, uh, and, and you know, our current state, there's almost, a, it would be laughable if not for how sad it is mixing, for instance, of, quote, merchants with the defense industry or with uh, <laughs> the medical industry. And it's egregiously corrupt. You know, the open door, for instance, between the financial industry and the SEC, you know, that's the, the mixing of, of caste. And of course, our whole caste, quote, caste system is, is all, all you know messed up anyway but uh, so in other words the point that I'm trying to make is uh you know the idea that you would have chetrias that do nothing but that they don't retire and then become advocates for you know the military <laughs> industrial complex is, is extremely important that type of stuff is, is normal here or you know the almost all of the the chair people the of the SEC, uh, not almost all of them, and, and the ties, Frankie, you know, are all Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan retirees. You really think yeah. that they're objectively? Uh, so there's a conflict of interest. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it would be laughable if it weren't so blatant. You know? But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. No, no, no. This is real. Go ahead. There's a great wisdom in this here. And, and uh, you know, I think that, that he, you know, we don't want to throw away the baby with the bathwater with this caste system because it's it's obviously very poorly understood uh, by the vast majority of people insofar as it's assumed that what, you know, is going on presently is the intended when it's, of course, become completely warped from how it was intended, you know, described and intended. So people come and stay in your swim lane, so to speak. Yes. So if, mm -hmm. yes, that, it's really, really, you worded it in a way that I hadn't exactly thought of before. So I really appreciate that. Um, right. If somebody with the motivation of one Varna takes to another Varna, uh, like you said, like a person who's very money-minded, like, 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 we know this, right? We people make fun of and criticize, you know, a pastor who has uh, private jets and says, well, you know, a uh, matter of fact, you know, donate for, I, I have a private jet, but I want a better one. And that's only, you know, $32 million, you know, and I'm God, I'm doing God's work. So, I, so if a person is in that kind of what we might call Brahmana position, but has a Vaisha mentality, mm -hmm. It, it, it it's 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 terrible right mm -hmm. and if someone's a real brahmana but you know working at starbucks that's it's it's, a, it's an unfortunate use of their abilities mm -hmm. um and what well, the first word that you use oh merit system uh i, I would yeah i would just avoid that word a little bit and here's the reason why 
because all four are needed in society. And so if we think it's more meritous, merited, merit, it, it's Meritorious. a higher merit uh, to be a Brahmin. You know, mm-hmm. Prabhupada here is making the point that we need Brahmins because there's no Brahmin. We have plenty of sutras, you know. But Well, okay, maybe quality-based. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just a small word, you know. And, and this is, you know, this is a one way to run society. It's called, you know, in, in modern parlance, it's stratification of society mm-hmm. um, as opposed to egalitarian. So, you know, and we've talked about this spiritually, total egalitarianism. That's right. We're all spirit souls. We're all part and parcel of Krishna. Every one of us has the birthright to become a lover of Krishna. And that's the most important thing. But while we're in this world, while we're in this body, we have different varieties of what we want to do, what we like to do. You know, I know people who do very physical labor. Some of them love it. And if you put, if you gave them a tie and a jacket and told them to sit behind a computer all day, they would be fried. Very good point. Thank you for that, Dean. Other thoughts on this? Yeah. I feel this discussion is kind of making me feel like the main farmer. The guy came up and asked him, well, how do you get to such and such town? And the farmer said, you can't get there from here. Uh, right. Because, I mean, Prabhupada is saying this, right. But during his lifetime, he has, he accomplished a monumental amount of stuff. Right. But he's gone. Right. You can't, if we still had a Prabhupada, you could see, okay, Brahma's could be coming along, but, uh, from where we are today in our society, even if ISKCON had real brahmanas, you still have to get them accepted, right? If nobody listens to the brahmanas, it doesn't matter yeah. to the brahmanas. And so the question, well, what I really would like to see is, I think is a big talk about scars and everything. It's just meat eating. I think if you- Is what? Just Media? Meat eating. Meat eating. eating. I thought you said media. If you could just target that, because I think it- if you accept that, it gives you a separation from consequences where these animals are being slaughtered. They're being murdered in a horrible way inside this abattoir slaughterhouse. If you accept that, it doesn't take much more to move on to not taking good care of your dog. Because after all, he's not that far from a chicken, you know, uh, letting him suffer. I mean, I see people doing that, right? Just leaving their dog out in the yard all day. So I think we need to accomplish my question is, how could ISKCON is not going to, I don't believe, create victory in this space by getting some Ramanas and because then they're not accepted or anything. So I would like to see more talk about how can ISKCON influence people to really stop eating meat? I think that would go a long way. I mean, uh, but uh, the, the desire to do that comes from Brahmanas who teach about how cow protection is important. <laughs> yeah, but you have to get an accepted voice. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well uh, yes, agreed, agreed. Yeah, I mean, just like Christianity had Const, uh, King Constantine, that changed right. everything, right? Yeah, it was, it was just a small little shoot. cult, and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, it was like dominoes. So that's yeah. what we need. It's and like a friend, a friend of mine has a uh, Dana knows what I'm talking about. Has a podcast, and when he got on the Joe Rogan show, all of a sudden. Woof. <laughs> I mean, this even took off. even uh, John Lennon before he was killed was was poised to do something like that. He thought he was an atheist, but I think he was wrong. 
you know, <laughs> I think not- he was wrong. I don't think he really was, but he thought he was at the time before he died. He never found out he wasn't in it. But he was saying, we see big billboards all over the world uh, advertising Coca-Cola. Why can't we advertise peace or love, right? Yeah. And he actually believed that. And he had so much influence, he might have been able to do something. But they, killed, of course, he had to be killed. Uh, Adam, you have your hand up. Hare Krishna. I, uh, I, I just wanted to kind of add, this was something I've thought about for a while. And it, um, I think it ties slightly into what Andy was talking about but the concept that you know the society needs these brahmanas and they need to be the the um the leaders or the the thought leaders the people who are influencing the people in power and stuff um but you know in in today's world it's like how do you even how does that even happen like the people who are most fit to lead are have no look at the whole system of like what it takes to get in that position. And they're like, I don't want any part of that. (laughs) And so it's, it's um, just to have these people is, is one thing, but to, it's like the system doesn't allow those people to get into place. You know, do you know what I mean? Like you have to be a very particular type of person to get in a high level of politics these days. And it's, not the it's not a good type of person (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, interesting yes so so devotees try to think well okay given that how can we be influencers and um yeah we could be doing a lot more in that regard thank you adam and good to see you so early in the morning i guess it's um 5 40 or 4 40 5 5 40 yeah yeah dean yeah i was I don't know. I, I think that um, maybe ISKCON shouldn't try to get involved and, you know, becoming some big movement or something. I, as long as it provides sort of an outlet, uh, you know, for people that have kind of made some some conscious effort in that direction, I think is, is good. In, in this. Anyway, that's one thing. But uh, yeah, I, was, I was just going to say, like, with regards to the, the meeting, um, I think this is one of the things that's so uh, there's there's so many that like why Kali Yuga is such a minefield. Okay, if you think about the way that we think about cannibalism, right? I mean, obviously there's immediate just negative reaction to something like that. Well, there are, there have been societies in this world where it wasn't that wasn't the case, you know? mm. and I can imagine other societies where uh, analogously to how we view cannibalism they would view meaty, you know, maybe in another time, another yugo, which is much more spiritual. If they saw a rack of, of ribs on, on a plate, they would immediately think, oh my God, that is so, you know, barbaric right. or something like that. But when we are in this thing where everything is, is so many things that are probably uh, immediately considered repulsive or have been socialized to be normal, it's yeah. dangerous yeah yeah like i'm considered different because i don't eat meat at work whereas like that should be the standard (laughs) yeah i do feel like in that regard there's a bit of a a movement and you know momentum for you know plant-based diet maybe that's just because i have adopted it so now i see it everywhere no but i think it's also true because people can make money on that so (laughs) and then they provide that right even burger king i think has a plant-based burger you know 
their concern is making money. So, yeah. No, there's a lot more than before. All right, let's finish this chapter. Um, text 25. The son of Vibrim Sati was Ramba, whose son was the great religious king Kaninetra. O king, the son of Kaninetra was King Karandhama. From Karandama came a son named Avikshit, and from Avikshit, a son named Maruta, who was the emperor. The great mystic Sanvarta, the son of Angira, engaged Maruta in performing a sacrifice, Yagna. The sacrificial paraphernalia of King Maruta was extremely beautiful, for everything was made of gold. Indeed, no other sacrifice could compare to his. In that sacrifice, King Indra became intoxicated by drinking a large quantity of somaras. The brahmanas received ample contributions and therefore they were satisfied. For that sacrifice, various demigods who control the winds offered foodstuffs and the Vishvadevas were members of the assembly. Maruta's son was Dhamma. Dhamma's son was Rajyavardhana. Rajavardhana's son was Sudriti, and his son was Nara. The son of Nara was Kevala, and his son was Dumhuman, Human, whose son was Vegavan. Vegavan's son was Buddha, and Buddha's son was Trinabindu, who became the king of this earth. The best of the Apsaras, the highly qualified girl named Alambusha, accepted the similarly qualified Trinabindu as her husband. She gave birth to a few sons and a daughter, known as Ilavila. After the great saint Vishrava, uh, the master of, all, of mystic yoga, received absolute knowledge from his father, he begot, the, uh, he begot in the womb of Ilavila, the great celebrated son known as Kuvera, the giver of money. Trinabindu had three sons named Vishala, uh, Sunyabandu, and Dumaraketu. Among these three, Vishala, uh, created a dynasty and constructed a palace called Vaishali. The son of Vishala was known as Hemachandra. His son was Dumrakesh, uh, Dumraksha, and his son was Samyama, uh, whose sons were Devaja and Krishashva. The son of Krishashva was Somadatta, who performed Ashwamedha sacrifices and thus satisfied the Supreme Personality of God Vishnu by Worshipping the Supreme Lord, he achieved the most exalted post of residence in the planet to, in which great mystic yogis are elevated. The son of Somadatta was Somati, whose son was Janamejaya. All these kings appeared in the dynasty of Vishala, properly maintained the celebrated position of King Trinabindu. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the ninth canto chapter, second chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam entitled The Dynasties of the Sons of Manu. So one might ask, in this great, great literature, what is all this about? Well, one, one uh, of the Acharyas, one of the great teachers mentions that the, you, you can get some realization because how many of you recognize all those names? Probably none of you. And yet in their, now some of you maybe recognize some of the names, uh, Yet in their time, they were great, great kings. They got, you know, greater coverage than Donald Trump or the Queen of England or whatever. But now they're just a name. And so one of the realizations one can get by reading this is just the, 
temporary nature of this world. But someone may be a big, big person, but the winds of time just blow and they just become a name in a big, big, long list of names. I always, I always, from even from a really, really young age, I, I always remember it struck me. Of course, my dad was Greek, so I heard a lot about Alexander the Great. I remember it always struck me that here's this guy who went through all this trouble to cross the planet with an army and then was taken out by a mosquito, you know? Yeah. And effectively, yeah. does he have any recollection of everything that he, he did? You know, good question. I'm guessing not. And he only lived for like 33 years, right? 33 years. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. So, um, or when Prabhupada took sannyas and renounced this world, he said his family was just a list of names. Now, of course, he 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 did provide for them financially, but um, that's the world. That's the world that we live in. It things come and go. It's just the very transitory nature of this world. Okay, so we will continue next week, at least the third chapter, if not more. And uh, unless there's any other questions, we can end just a few minutes early, actually. Just 10 minutes early. Can I make make one last... uh, Yeah, just one second, though. Prabhu, do you want... Wait, 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 uh, Dean, one second. Shushil wants to say... Yeah, Yeah, go ahead, Prabhu. Prabhuji, it's a very big inheritance, the name one after another stone. So is there any um, ER calendar they maintain or how they memorize all of the generation in the system? Um, These these records were kept, you know, even um, um, if you go to Jagannath Puri, right? And they uh, they want to check you out and make sure that you're actually Hindu. They ask you, what is your... What is your gotra, right? And you don't say your father or your grandfather even. You go way back, right? Because all of the all of the Hindu lines have come from some great sage, right? Isn't it? So there was something keeping track of of these things. Just like now, you'll see in the newspapers or rather on the websites, there's a. a uh, what would you, what would you call it? Just a, you know, the descendants of the queen, and how she became the queen, and then who's who are the next the next ten in line, right? Um, things like that. Um, so, yeah, these records were kept. Before the Janmashtami, someone sent me one of the list, uh, the Lord Krishna bath and date and some information where he did the pastime. So, so many people, uh, they uh, request me to forward. I was going to forward on only one person. He's my very close. <clears throat> he was, uh, right now he's in the Denver. In uh, Bangladesh, he was the detective police officer, you know, retirement. Actually, he is my relative. So, uh-huh. when this information, you know, this is detective activity. They're asking a lot of questions. <laughs> How do you prove this one? So, um, actually, uh, I... Lord Krishna is a different, right? He's the Supreme Court and he has all uh, information. But this type of information is a really very critical, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the real <laughs> lesson there. Go ahead, Dean. Well, I was just going to say, I know there's a lot of fascination with this Soma drink. In yeah. The, 
I, I just, I've noticed like, I don't see, I've never read anything to me to, that suggested it's a hallucinogen, which is what no. seems to be widely accepted. But it just no. says intoxicated. It seems like it could be beer for all we know, but somehow like the West or lots of people like in pop culture decided this is proof that like, Hinduism came from like hallucinogen uh, consumption. Or, yeah, you know. no, it, it, you're right, and I've seen some research on that. No, it's not like you're right. It's not like that, and it's, and you know, Prabhupada may have chosen that word, and it may be hard to find another word for it, you know, mm -hmm. um, in English. But yeah, it's not like you know vodka or you know uh, LSD or mm -hmm. it's. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. I I don't have the research. I did see some research on that some time ago, but I don't have it in front of me. But your mm -hmm. general direction, you're absolutely right. Okay, well, very nice being with all of you, and have a very nice uh, day in Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.